0: What's up, everybody? It's Ben. Normally, here on the podcast uh, feed, we have conversations where it's just Caleb and I sitting down and we're breaking into something that we're trying to study here in Brooklyn and just give little overviews of sections of text and stuff. Uh, This series is a little bit different, and we thought it'd be worth putting here on the feed so that both people here in Brooklyn and maybe those of you who tune in in other places might be benefited from some Bible class discussions that we've had recently regarding politics and how Christians should view politics. I and say at the outset, this isn't um, a study that's designed to tell people how they should vote or even if they should vote or how they should participate politically or if they should participate politically. It's more about the kind of perspective Christians should have about their relationship to government and politics. Uh, these are class discussions conducted over Zoom over a period of weeks here in the late summer, early fall of 2020. Um, Obviously, the audio quality is rough in some spots, so you hope you can forgive that. Um, We just thought some people might find it valuable to listen to what some other people are dealing with and thinking about in Scripture. And if you have any questions or things you want to talk about, as always, reach out to us. Let us know what you think, and we hope that all of us can think of ourselves not so much as Americans or as citizens of any nation of the world, but as citizens of heaven, followers of King Jesus. Thanks for tuning in, as always. We hope this is helpful for you. Okay guys, so uh, tonight is we're going to be discussing God's relationship to government, um, ultimately God's sovereignty over human government. We're going to start in Romans chapter 13, and we're going to do like we do sometimes. I'm just going to read this text, and then I'm just going to kind of open it up, uh, but I'd like to pose at least one question. You can go whichever direction you want to um, with what's in the text, if you have some comments or observations, thoughts. But I wanna, I wanna ask this question before we read this text. What is it about Romans chapter 13, particularly verses, uh, we're gonna read verses one through seven. What is it that makes you uncomfortable or bothers you about this text or um, creates sort of a, a question mark in your mind? We actually kind of touched on a little bit of this last week, I think. I know for me, there's a handful and uh, I'm, I'm gonna let everybody else kind of jump in here first with that. But uh, that's what I'd like us to at least one thing for us to focus on here in this text. But also if you see anything else that you'd like to say about this, especially God's relationship to government. um, Let's bring that out. But just keep that question in mind. What is it about this text in Romans 13? That's particularly challenging, problematic, hard, complicated for you as you read it. Romans 13 verse one. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. All right, so this text says a couple things about um, our relationship to government, also God's relationship to government. What is it about this text that you find to be complicated, challenging, confusing, maybe in some ways a little frustrating, um, whatever. What do you see here in this text in Romans 13? Sure. Brittany, go ahead.
1: So, I I think there's just a lot of for me like cognitive dissonance required to believe that every authority is granted that authority by God. And so, if I think of an example of the United States government, you know, I think that we all have differing opinions about which party is right and who should be in which position and that sort of thing. So, like, set that aside for a moment. And think about governments where there's like very little question as to who is right and wrong. So, like the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia that committed like mass genocide, right? Or the Armenian genocide, or that sort of, or like Sudan or Somalia. You know, like take any of these, I think, much more drastic examples than what we are used to confronting to every day and say that exists under the authority of God. And I just find that extremely disturbing and confusing.
0: Same. was said for me. Keep going. Uh, Mark, what you got? Oh, hi. I can relate to uh, Habakkuk in the book of Habakkuk uh, where he saw all this evil around him and he just had to question God as to why there was all this evil and why it seemed as if it appeared as if God had established authority in the governor. The rule is that just a pure evil that went against the people's best interest. Yes. I mean, really, the stuff Brittany just articulated is Habakkuk chapter one. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's good. We'll come back to more of that later, I think. That's really good. What else do you guys find complicated or difficult um, about Romans chapter 13 verses one to seven? Um, what's challenging to you? What's, uh, what's kind of problematic about this text in your view? What do you guys see?
1: I mean, this kind of goes to what Brittany said, but this idea that whoever resists the authorities like, if you see a really, really wicked government, like, I feel like I want to, like, applaud the people who are taking a stand against it. But to say that, like, anyone who's resisting those authorities is resisting God is really hard to
0: swallow.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. And verse 4, the one in authority is God's servant for your
3: good. <laughs> I mean, I, I could get the servant part, but uh, the the part about for your good is tough, tough to swallow. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Amen. And and you're thinking, I mean, you're highlighting that, lot, I presume, because we look around, it doesn't always seem, well, we know for a fact, a lot of times it's pretty clear, they'll even say themselves is not doing it for our good or whatever. Is that what you're kind of? Yeah. Thinking? Yeah. Yeah. Just that um, rulers often don't seem to be doing anything for our good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's right. Nelson, what are you thinking, brother?
4: Yeah, I'm just thinking about um, what Brittany was saying. Like, It is true that we know so many leaders, like an evil ones, and they have killed a lot of people. Would you still look at those leaders and say, like, hey, God put that guy right there, uh, you know? And it's, it's just hard for me uh, to see that. I know uh, it's saying that in that passage, but uh, how could we see that in a way that I, we can still believe that I, oh, it's okay, it's God who put them like, knowing who God is uh, indeed
0: yeah, and by the way, we're all coming from this position of we know God to be good and kind and gracious and just, and that's why it's really hard for us, I think the phrase Brittany used cognitive dissonance for but that doesn't make any sense that God would put
3: these people in yeah, go ahead, David David uh, the one, the one, the last part of verse five that says uh, "Not only because of wrath, but because of conscience, because sometimes uh, uh, when we are among these, these evil um, authorities, we think that it is, we have a good conscience if, if we are going against it. So it is to subject to these authorities that seem to be perpetrating evils in, um, in, our, in our people for the conscience of, of having, for, for having a good conscience. That's a great point. Sometimes this question of doing things
0: in good conscience, it certainly appears to be that we would need to do something that would be in rebellion uh, to government. And by the way, there are times whenever we know that's a fact um the apostles would say in acts five twenty nine, we ought to obey god rather than men so there are times uh because of conscience sake to not submit to the authorities but that's really
2: problematic what,
0: what's the line of where i'm disobeying the governing authorities for instance um what if uh in, like financially supporting uh, evil activities should i say no i'm not going to do that therefore you know I'm going to rebel because I must obey God rather than that. Except Jesus says, pay your taxes to Caesar. Being used What's the problem? To... Y'all go to? What's that? Oh, anyway, complicated, right? I think I was just Brian, uh-huh. um, Are you back in, man? You got something to say?
4: Yeah. yeah. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot since last week and doing some of the reading and the reading you sent. Um, it's great. And I, re- I was reminded, you know, they use this word resist, um, which is a little ambiguous. And I remember the last other time they use resist in the Bible is when they say resist not evil, but in, I, th- I believe they say embrace it. And I think, you know, in a sense, this could also mean you know, don't resist, you know, uh, leadership, don't run away, don't, you know, abandon it and just like go on your own, but, you know, head head direction of it, which I think includes, you know, if it needs to be changed, work on changing it, Um, but don't resist it, don't flee from it, Um, just don't, not to resist evil. Yeah,
0: that instruction, that's a, a good, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Brian's gone, um, maybe we will come back in here. But uh, the, the, that word resist that Brian was highlighting um, is, is a good call for us to make sure to pay attention to. One thing that's interesting, usually when I think resist, I think like pushing away from somebody, like, please stop doing that, you know? Um, that's actually, in the Bible, with this word resist, actually means to oppose someone or to fight against them or to attack them. So that's, that's a little bit of the, I think, the notion to think about there with this this use of the word resist. It's not you pull away when somebody's harming you, Evidence. there's nothing wrong with uh, trying to avoid harm if possible but what uh, what we see here condemned is the idea of attacking a government or or uh fighting against the authorities right all right good any other thoughts of just what makes this complicated especially with this notion that god's the one who appoints governments and uh what makes that sort of tricky um in uh, in the instruction that we receive here you guys got anything else this is a really i think a really good thorough um, breakdown of it. I know of a couple other things that I'll just highlight in a second, but I want to make sure to give room for everybody else. Any other thoughts you see that are kind of tricky about this? I'm going to point out uh, two things before we uh, kind of shift gears just a little bit here. And if anybody thinks of anything else, just uh, jump in. Uh, one is this is an incredibly idyllic picture of what how government works. I mean, one that's it's just impossible to not have it come to mind with all the conversation going on around us. Um, is verse 3 rulers or authorities are not a cause of fear for good behavior but for evil. If you want to have no fear of authority, do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. Here, the promise is hey, man, if you do good, the government's gonna, the governing authorities are gonna um, treat you right, take care of you, etc. Well, is that true? No answer, you guys already know you. It's not always true. Um, We know that people get shot in their beds, not doing anything wrong. We know that people get shot in their own apartments because somebody got confused, walked into the wrong apartment or whatever it was that happened, and then they kill them there. We know that people, I mean, all kinds of things happen. Um, And we know that there are people who do really wicked things who do not get punished. And those those aren't necessarily the standards all the time in our nation, but we know it happens more times than, than we wish it did. And so it's really tricky because part of Paul's reasoning is you should obey the authorities because the authorities punish those who do evil and they reward those who do good. So if you do good, you'll be rewarded. And yet we know that's not true. Um, so that's a, a difficult part of this. Another is, and this was brought up, I think, last week. Uh, one, one challenging part of this text for us is, Brian, I'm going to come right to you, okay? Um, another challenging part of this is who is, or what is the authority in our context? Um, maybe put it another way is what do we obey? What the, the laws themselves say, or the people who are ruling over us? Because sometimes those don't appear to necessarily be um, the same thing always. What's the real authority in our context? Is it uh, a document outlining rights and responsibilities of everybody? Or is it the individuals who make up uh, the government? And if it's the individuals who make up the government, which ones is it that we're supposed to submit to? Is it our local or regional authorities that we're supposed to submit to or the federal national authorities? Because they don't always agree about what we are supposed to do or not do in our system. And even in, you guys get the point, right? Um, Yeah. That's enough. Um, I think that's enough. You guys get it. Um, Brian, you had something you want to say, jump on, jump on here, man. What do you want to say?
4: Um, Yeah, again, I think um, we live in a time where uh, we don't get in trouble for not obeying uh, rulers because we are allowed to think for ourselves, speak for ourselves, and states and different places are allowed to uh, create laws uh, for themselves and disagree. With the law, every law, actually. Um, so I believe this has to be taken in context. And okay, we can't physically attack people, but we can heavily, heavily criticize uh, publicly um, people who are in charge when we feel they're doing, uh, especially when they're doing something to others. And uh, we can heavily, heavily make attempts to to change that and to get them out of office. Um, you know, uh, without necessarily breaking the law, resisting the law, but we can certainly be very vocal, be very controversial by standing up to speak out against the rulers.
0: That's true. That's a part of the American system. So some of this, and we're going to keep on, I think, exploring these things, or we're going to look at a lot of Bible um, teaching that will contribute to our our conclusions that each of us have to make about um, question is who's the we there? Yes we as Americans have the right, I mean, it's literally codified that we have the right to speak and act in any number of ways uh, against- oh, I'm the- Christians. Now, the question would be, uh, what about us as members of the kingdom of heaven? Are we, how are we supposed to engage with the governing authorities? Do we have those same rights that Americans have? Or do we need to think in a different way about how we interact with the governing authorities? Um, and that's these are questions like these are real questions that each one of us have to kind of work on maybe to put it in another way if you rewound the clock and it was 1774 seventy out in a pub somewhere with some guys who were talking about um the king across the pond and what they think needs to happen what would as you walked out and you went back to your home what would you need to think about that would you think like yeah i want to join this revolution um or would you need to avoid that, right? Um, these are the kinds of questions we're trying to think about here. I, I do want us to, to come back to this, uh, this issue that's, that's fundamental this text of God being the one who appoints governments. And as we talked about earlier, this is the really challenging part of this text. How could he appoint so many governments? Uh, let me pop this up on the screen uh, for you guys as we've, we, we this was in the material that was shared to you. And there's a number of scriptures where God specifically says, I appointed those leaders. I did it. I put them up. What are, what are some of those? And you don't have to go in order. We've got these references, Exodus 9, 16, Daniel 4. Um, my little sister, she she has an English degree. So she... Uh, it was a little too late. It was before I sent it out to you guys, but she's given a, an edit of the material. She uh, tagged that the text should say they're Daniel 4, 24 through 37, not 39, because Daniel 4, 39 doesn't exist. So I'm sorry about that. Anyway, Exodus nine sixteen, Daniel 4, 24 through 39, Isaiah 44 and 45, John 19, Romans 13. Uh, who are some of the leaders that God or Christ or one of the prophets specifically says, hey, I put you in place. I appointed you as uh, a leader. What are some of the names that uh, that we could put up on the screen here with uh, with these passages as world leaders that were established by God?
2: King Nebuchadnezzar
0: from Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar from Daniel. Yeah, uh, Ruth, what'd you say?
2: Pharaoh.
0: Pharaoh, right? Uh, I want to come back to this in a second. Uh, Mention uh, Nebuchadnezzar from Daniel. I guess you do have to do these in order. Don't mess it up. And Caleb had to say Cyrus, of so, course. Uh, that's, that's your boy there. Uh, what about in John 19? Pilate? Who is it that gets highlighted as being appointed Pilate. by God? Say again, Brian. Pilate? Yeah, Pilate, right? The guy who had Jesus killed. And then I'm going to say this is by implication. It's a little looser. But here in Romans 13, we have the implication that Caesar and all of his uh, imperial leaders that he appointed. Were uh, were established by God because here these Christians in Rome are being told, um, yeah, the leaders are appointed by God. Okay, so look at that list just for a second: Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, king of Persia, Pilate, and uh, and Caesar. Um, now let's just talk about what are some bad things that you know about these leaders. What are some what are some bad things you know about these dudes? Either from your study of secular history or stuff you know straight from uh, straight from the scriptures.
4: King Nebuchadnezzar in uh, the book of Second Kings brought
0: the uh, Israelites uh, into exile, into captivity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he sacked the city of Jerusalem. You know, one of the most striking stories to me in that one is in 2 Kings twenty-five and verse seven where it says that Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the king Zedekiah, was kind of a little bit rebellious, the king of Israel, that is, rebellious against Nebuchadnezzar. So he chased down Zedekiah, he captured him, he killed both of his sons before his eyes, and then Nebuchadnezzar poked Zedekiah's eyes out so that the last thing that he ever saw in his entire life was his two sons being killed before his very eyes. That's Nebuchadnezzar. That's the kind of person that he was. By the way, you can read in secular history about the kind of guy he was. Nebuchadnezzar was... So brutal and unjust and just not good and prideful and all kinds of things that in Daniel 4, God turned transformed him into a beast uh, as punishment for the way that he lived. And Daniel appealed to the king in Daniel 4, please, O king, turn from your iniquity and your injustice and do righteousness, do justice for the oppressed so that perhaps God will turn and relent from punishing you. So Nebuchadnezzar was a bad dude. What else do you guys know about some of these characters um, that we have here? Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, Pilate, Caesar. Uh, what else do you know about some of their characters, some of their behaviors?
3: Yeah, as a matter of fact, when I was uh, going to church today or to, to meet with you guys, um, I I was listening by uh, a sermon named, by Rabbi and he was he was talking about Nebuchadnezzar. And he brought up a point about Saddam Hussein uh, wanting to rebuild um, Babylon. And uh, his point of reference was Nebuchadnezzar, uh, that he want, that, that, that's what he wanted to look like. So wow. that tells me a lot about uh, his personality.
2: Okay. Yeah.
0: So Saddam Hussein, top role model, Nebuchadnezzar. That kind of tells you what you need to know about him. Yeah, that's great. I mean, terrible, but yeah, good, good, helpful, helpful perspective there. Good. What else do you guys know about some of these um, characters, some of these individuals uh, who God said he established, he put up as, as rulers? Um us know what some of these people,
2: Ruth. They worshiped they worship other gods.
0: Yeah. I mean, and, and at least Pharaoh and maybe Cyrus, there, there's a couple of like, uh, um, what do you call it? It's a, like a stone relief, you know, where it's, a, it's artwork on stone, that uh, Cyrus is made to look like some sort of angelic being. Uh, Pharaoh, we know, would have been regarded as a God and Caesar proclaimed himself to be a God. Besides the fact, to your point, they certainly worshiped all kinds of pagan gods, encouraged and institutionalized all sorts of horrifying pagan rituals. Um, that would have been immoral and, and, uh, and produced a lot of injustice in their, in their societies and in the world. Yeah. What else do you guys know about these guys?
4: Well, we know that God uh, deliberately hardened Pharaoh's heart, um, even though Pharaoh had hardened his heart on his own and lied and broke all his promises, but then he continued to uh, harden his heart so that he could eventually be glorified by having the utmost reason to destroy Pharaoh and his men. That's right. That's right. But to your point, the only reason God
0: had the opportunity to harden Pharaoh's heart was because as you said, Pharaoh had a pretty hard heart toward God. I mean, for instance, we know of course, from the beginning of the book of Exodus, some of the terrible things Pharaoh was doing. I mean, he's trying to um, use state policies to, um, well, first enslaves an entire ethnic group, forcing them to labor for his, his nation and then after that slavery, he, uh, uh, that, that didn't work in, in crushing their power. So then he decides, well, we're just going to eradicate them by having all the children get killed. And, uh, of course, that didn't really work either. And then he's continuing his oppression long after that, uh, at least, what, 80 years long of slavery, uh, more probably. So anyway, yeah, I mean, Pharaoh, uh, a, a hard-hearted, um, harsh, arrogant, abusive um, character, um, Pilate. I mean, we know a couple things about Pilate uh, from the scriptures specifically. If you want to just Wikipedia Pilate, you can learn a lot more stuff about him. But uh, a couple things on on Pilate from the scriptures themselves. One is uh, that he disrespected people. And Luke thirteen it talks about how he mingled people's bloods with sacrifice, mingled people's blood with sacrifice in a way of dishonoring them. Of course, with, uh, with the, the trial of Jesus of Nazareth, Pilate knew good and well, there was nothing wrong with this man. He multiple times went up to the crowd and said, There's not, what are you, why are you trying to kill this guy? He hasn't done anything. There's nothing deserve, certainly nothing deserving of death, really not even a crime, period. But rather than take a stand for what was right, he took a bowl of water and washed his hands of the matter and let the, the masses do whatever they wanted to this not only innocent man, but genuinely good man uh, who lived. Um, what else do we have? Well, I mean, the Caesars, uh, you want to talk about decadence, immorality, um, and oppression, direct oppression, eventually against Christians. It's hard to tell, probably not at this time in the book of Romans that, uh, that the Caesars were directly oppressing Christians, but not long after they would begin doing that. Um, and they were certainly guilty of many, many sins that, um, yeah, that we we know about from them. Okay, so this really doesn't help us, does it? Because that concern that we have earlier, that I think all of us feel, how could God appoint these these kinds of people to leadership? How could he do that? How could he allow that to go on? Let me ask, Uh, so put a pin in that uh, question in your mind, and let me ask another question. Can you guys think of, How God ever responded to wicked societies and specifically wicked uh, rulers or leaders of nations. Um, Can you guys think of any scriptures that point to how God responded to leaders, even leaders that he appointed, how he responded to them whenever they utilized their power for evil?
4: That question make any sense? The Old Testament? What about it? Um, I'm thinking of first, I think I'm thinking of first and second Samuel where all the different leaders, you know, are take, take over. I don't know if God, uh, put them in place. Um, but they're constantly, you know, some of them do as God wanted, they'll say, but then they didn't get rid of the high places. And some of them come in and do all evil as they're, as their fathers have done and God just destroys them. Some die right away because they're evil. Others um, do some things good, but then they... Yeah,
0: and, and you may be referring to uh, Samuel, there's some of that in Samuel, but that's certainly in the book of Kings. A lot of that, the Kings of Israel, especially, are highlighted as being... Um...
4: Oh, no, I'm sorry, Kings, right. First and second
0: Yeah, kings. No, that's fine, It's right. Because it is a little bit of Samuel too, and they kind of bleed together anyways, the stories do. But, yeah, they, the leaders get called, in, called to account by God. Other examples of God calling leaders, um, world leaders, to account for their evil deeds.
1: Do like Nineveh? I know it was the whole city and all the people, but it was really the king that was going to be judged and destroyed too.
0: Yep, absolutely, yeah. So the, end of, or the middle of the book of Jonah, whenever Jonah goes and preaches to the people in Nineveh, it's the king that gets highlighted as one who um, commands repentance among the people. He was responsible before God. Even though it was a pagan nation, they weren't in covenant with God, and yet uh, God held them responsible. And I'll just go ahead and say, they didn't hold to their repentance. That's why the book of Nahum is in the Bible, because the book of Nahum is God calling them to account for their wickedness. Other examples in the Bible of God calling governmental leaders um, to account for their wicked behaviors.
3: There's like a big portion of Isaiah that calls out nations for... uh
0: for their wickedness. I think starting around like chapter 23, um, but it's like eight or 10 chapters. So just one nation after the other of God, just bringing judgment on wicked for their, uh, on these nations for their wickedness. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great one. That's a great one. Other examples that you guys know of, Yeah, uh,
3: You, uh, the examples that we were just talking about, we were talking about um, these governors, um, qualities but but um pharaoh Pharaoh was was brought uh under punishment and you know of course the one that is the most graphic is nebuchadnezzar
0: yeah absolutely i mean pharaoh his whole kingdom implodes his army is sunk in the bottom of the sea um his family lineage is is devastated by the plagues all this kind of stuff you can imagine the economy and i mean his his kingdom was ruined because of his rebellion against god and his injustice and his wickedness and his idolatry but you're absolutely right. Daniel chapter four gives us a great portrait of a powerful ruler who God says, "I appointed you. I lifted you up. I put you in this spot, and now I'm going to call you to account for the wickedness that you've been uh, engaging in." All right, good. Any other examples you guys can think of in Scripture where God calls world leaders to account for their for their evil, their injustice, their uh, their evil behaviors? Uh, there are now, and Caleb highlighted by the way uh, the the Middle portion of Isaiah. I mean, there's a sense in which really chapters 13 through 35 all highlight uh, wickedness of the nations. Different kings are, are uh, highlighted there, or rulers at least. Um, but uh, really, all the prophets, not all the prophets, but a number of the prophets do. The book of Amos has a significant portion that calls out different uh, nations, which would include different rulers. The end of the book of Jeremiah has quite a bit of the same kind of thing. Ezekiel even has a little bit in there. Uh, And of course, Dan, we already mentioned, you what are you thinking?
1: I was thinking of Amos, but then I was also thinking about the story with, um, this isn't just like a verbal calling them out and saying something, but when he killed the 185,000 soldiers from Sennacherib, like you see him saying it, but then you also see him carrying out that action and offering judgment.
0: That's really good. Yeah. And and I'll I'll highlight two more. Um, The book of Revelation A lot of the book of Revelation is about unjust, wicked um, governmental powers and how God will punish them uh, for their evil. He will hold them to account uh, for what they've done. And the last one that I'll highlight, though there are probably many more, is actually Jesus himself. Whenever he was on earth and one time some people came to him and said, hey, did you know Herod, a regional governor type guy, did you know Herod was looking for you? And Jesus says, go tell that fox. And then he has a little thing to say. In other words, Jesus uh, pronounced a judgment, at least, on Herod and his behavior that he was doing evil. John the Baptist was even more explicit whenever he called out Herod for the uh, sexual immorality that he was engaging in. All right, so here's my point um, that I think is at least a tiny, tiny bit helpful with this question for us of, wow, how could God put Pharaoh in power? How could God put Nebuchadnezzar in power? How could God, and by the way, then you start doing the thing that, um that Brittany was doing for us that I think all of us do when we think about it how could god put fill in the blank in power i remember one time in particular that hit me i was in the um the national um museum for civil and human rights in uh, in atlanta and i was walking through the museum we had a membership and i just kind of go sometimes when i had some extra time in between meetings or something and uh in the upstairs of that museum was like international human rights issues and one wall was just of uh, brutal dictators you know this is the the section for the the Idi Amin's, the, the, the um, uh, Robert Mugabe's of the world, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Kim Jong-un, et cetera, et cetera. And you're just looking at that wall and you're like, dude, how did these people get authority from God? This is terrible. Well, I, I don't know the answer to that. And I was going to tell you, I don't, I don't know that we can find one. I'm happy if somebody has an answer, I'd really be eager to hear it. It would be helpful to me personally. But here's what I do know is that the scriptures teach that while God gives authority, and I, I actually do believe that this scripture is an is a evergreen truth, that God gives authority to those who rule over the nations of men. While he gives that authority, or allows that authority at least, whether he directly engineers it or whether he uh, allows people to rise to power, I don't know exactly how he does it. But at the end of the day, God claims responsibility. Jesus claims responsibility for assigning who's in power. While he does that, he also calls those people into special account for their misdeeds. In other words, it's not that God's like, yeah, sure, you know, fill in the blank evil person, they can take power and be a leader of of a nation and it's fine. I mean, whatever. When God does that, those people have a special duty before God to execute their office uh, and to utilize their authority in a righteous way. And when they don't, there's divine justice, divine punishment. That comes upon them. Um, now that's not terribly, terribly comforting in the moment. I think there's a secondary thing here that we'll get into more in just a minute that helps with this notion of how could God allow, not even allow, but grant sovereign authority to such evil and wicked systems and people. Um, we'll come back to that in just a minute. Um, y'all flip over to Habakkuk chapter one. We're going to look at something there in just a minute, uh, but any thoughts or comments on just this general notion of, god's relationship to government the power that he gives government um the types of people that he's allowed to be in power at times how he calls them to account
4: etc brian what you got um yeah i'm thinking about a part i believe that's also in kings where um he uses and i can't remember the name it's so it's, it's even a common name that people use now for very um unsophisticated people but he uses um, he's this country of uh, I don't know I want to say Julians for lack of but he uses them to take uh, to conquer uh, one of the kings of Israel Um, and so it's not it seems to me like they it's almost like God they were in power but God didn't expect them to be um, these uh, you know these good people but he uses them to get rid of uh, a part of uh, one of the kings of Israel who who had very much disappointed God. Do you know what I'm referring to?
0: Well, there's several instances of that for sure. Yeah, I mean, the Philistines would be one group. Phil-
4: that Thank you, Philistines.
0: Yeah, they use them a lot. Um, but actually, the group that we're going to look at here in just a second, in Habakkuk chapter 1, would be one that fits that bill too. There's a number of times where God uses regimes, um, international regimes, that were not necessarily particularly just, that he used them for his purposes. uh, So my
4: my question is, or my point maybe is, um, you know, we're we're assuming that God set them up, that he set them up, he set the Philistines up, knowing that they weren't going to obey God. Or another way of wording that, I don't think that's totally wrong, another way of
0: wording that would be, he set them up after they had already proven themselves to not be submissive to him. He utilized their rebellion uh, to, to act as a, a device of punishment on his people. In other words, it's not that God made them be bad, but since they were bad, God said, all right, let's use your badness for something good. Does that make sense?
4: yeah except that i wouldn't yeah i wouldn't say that god made them bad but god knows what i'm saying is god knows they're bad so he's he's not really expecting them which which is something you said earlier he's not expecting them to follow his rules and then hence punishing them he knows they're not going to
0: that's true although what we do see there's a one passage and you guys can check this out later the nation of edom in the book of obadiah which was not a nation that was serving god they were idolatrous they were not really obedient to god um and yet he says, Hey, you know what? I wanted you guys to do something, but you went too far. You did too much. You were wrong in what you did. And there's actually other nations where that same, thing. <laughs> I want you guys to notice what, what God's now. so here's uh, some perspective from or anybody else. Got any comments on what we've talked about so far before we move on. Here's the big question. How do we respond to this? How do we deal with this uh, reality? that God is the one who oversees and ultimately has the final say on who's in authority in all the nations of men. Again, whether that means he um, uh, purposely, or I should say, uh, uh, intentionally engineers their rise to power or if he allows it, I don't know, but I know God is ultimately the one who gets to decide what happens and doesn't happen in the world. So he allows it. And he has said, I'm the one that set up these authorities they all exist because of my power, my authority. Um, how are we supposed to respond to that? How are we supposed to deal with that, especially when we look at such wicked ones like Caesar, like Pharaoh, like Cyrus, like all these individuals? How are we supposed to deal with that and cope with that uh, while living in the world? Ruth, what you got?
2: Well, for me, um, though, in the moment of, you know, there's moments where I feel like, oh, man, this is crazy but actually knowing that God is sovereign in, in it encourages encourages me um, knowing that like eventually he'll punish them and however you know there's going to be judgment and so um, i guess i'm yeah i guess knowing that throughout the scriptures of seeing how he uses different nations to punish different nations i trust that throughout you know because of history um, he never changes and he would continue to do that. But then also I think about the ultimate hope of glory. So.
0: Amen. I think those a really good observation. Actually, it really fits in really well with uh, what I want us to look at briefly here in the book of Habakkuk. Mark already highlighted this earlier, but look at the beginning of the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk says in verse two, how long, O Lord, will I call out for help and you will not hear. I cry out to you violence. Yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. The law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. That sounds like a refrain that probably lots of people throughout human history uh, could have said themselves, maybe not as poetically. But just as honestly and desperately. And of course, many people right now, our neighbors and friends could feel the same way for any number of reasons. Um, So here's God's response God says, Well, look in the nations. I'm sending punishment, the Chaldeans. They're powerful, they're fierce. They're going to be my instrument for discipline. So Habakkuk lived among God's people, and he sees all this wickedness. He's like, God, why aren't you doing something? The kings are bad. I mean, things are even worse. It's just terrible. Um, And God says, don't worry about it. I'm going to send the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. Chaldea was like the region that um, Babylon was located in. By the way, some people theorize at least um, that uh, Habakkuk prophesied during the time of Manasseh, who was one of the worst kings of Israel. Um, Those of you who've been doing the reading in Kings, you know about some of that stuff. You'll find out similar stuff in the book Chronicles whenever we get there later in the year. Um, but anyway, whatever it is, it was terrible. And God says, "Don't worry about it. I'm sending the Babylonians." Well, we already talked about this is the role model of Saddam Hussein that we that God is saying that's who I'm going to use. That's why Habakkuk says in uh, in verse 12, "Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We will not die. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge, and you, O Rock, have established them to correct." In other words, he's like. You're the holy one, God. You're the righteous one. Whatever you say goes, I know. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? Why have you made men like the fish of the sea, like creeping things without a ruler over them? And then he goes on to say the Chaldeans are the worst. God, why are you sitting there silently when bad things happen? Why are you sitting there just letting this stuff go down? I love Habakkuk's statement at the beginning of chapter 2. He says, I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I'm reproved or corrected. In other words, Habakkuk says, God, I do not get how you can let the bad stuff happen that you're letting happen. I don't get how you are actively giving power to people who are wicked and evil. I know we're bad, but they're even worse. I do not get it, God. But I'm going to stand right here and I'm going to wait for your correction. I know I don't get it. and I don't really like what you're telling me, but I know at the end of the day, you got something going on. Well, here's the first thing, and, and there's quite a bit. We're not going to go into all of chapter two, but I just want to highlight one statement in particular that probably a lot of you have uh, have noticed before in scripture and have been impacted by in a big way. Uh, it's in chapter two and verse four. And I just want to put it up here on the screen, just in case anybody can't see it on there on their, in their Bible. God speaks and he says, look, as for the proud one, which would include those who are unjust in Habakkuk society, King Manasseh, for instance, if he was indeed the king at that time or any other rulers, certainly the Babylonians were filled with pride and Nebuchadnezzar, The reason why God turned him into a beast and sent him out to pasture, literally, was because of his pride, Daniel chapter 4. You can check that out. That's why God says his soul is not right within him. In other words, God's not approving of all these bad things, even those who are granted power, either um, uh, circumstantially or intentionally by God. His soul is not right in him, but the righteous will live by his faith. To define a couple of these words, uh, I want to highlight a couple of things. Um, The righteous, that is those who are with God, not those who are participating in evils and injustices and all that kind of stuff, but the righteous people will live. And in this context, I think the way to think about living is to think about survival. Habakkuk says, God, how are we going to make it? How are we going to deal with this? How can we survive? And God says, let me tell you how you're going to survive. By faith. Now, I don't think this means primarily like the faith where you just believe some stuff, although it starts there. I don't even think it means the kind of faith where it means uh, you, uh, you do some right stuff, although that's part of faith too. This word almost always in the Old Testament, whenever it's translated, is translated as faithfulness or loyalty or steadfastness. In other words, righteous people are those who are loyal to God and are not swayed by the evil, unjust, wicked, immoral, prideful uh, leaders and governments of the world. It's people who say, God, I'm rolling with you. No matter what my my nation is doing, no matter what leaders are doing or whatever, I'm going to stick with you and I'm going to trust that you're working something out. Now, this goes back to what we were saying. um, You know, When we see injustice and we see people that God has appointed or he has granted authority to, and we say, God, how could you do that? Well, number one, Ruth highlighted this, a couple others, we've said this too. We can know God is calling them to account. Yes, they were given that responsibility and they're gonna be held accountable for that. If they use it wrongly, they're going to be punished. So it's not like God's like, oh, don't worry about it. It's the government, I appointed them so they can do whatever they want. It's not a blank check. It's actually a greater duty and burden and responsibility for them. There's a second thing too. Whenever we look around at the evil governments of the world and see their oppression and see the, the bad stuff they're doing, we, and this is really hard for me personally, I don't know about you guys, but we have to embrace and remember God is working out something bigger than whatever is going on in my socio political environment in my particular moment in history. We look at whatever's happening in our moments of history and we say, There's no way that God could do this. Or, God, why would you do this? And it can even be a temptation to say, You know what? If God appoints these kinds of leaders throughout the world, then forget God. Whenever we remember that God's plan for us is life, and it's life if we stay loyal to him, if we stay faithful to him, that he's operating on a bigger stage than what we're capable of seeing. If we can see it that way, it'll help us to adhere to instructions like Romans chapter 13, even knowing that governments aren't always going to do what they're supposed to do, but I'm going to stay loyal to God and do what he says, no matter what's going on in the world around me. Um, let me pause for a second. I just went on a little, little thing there. Ruth, jump in here.
2: No, uh, it, it makes me think about, you know, putting that confidence in a government. Um, just thinking of, of Israel when they looked at the other nations and they desired a king, um, even though they had God himself. Um, and you see how that came about. Um, not to say every king was off, but a lot of them were. Um, But I think for us now, it's just that even to establish about like the history of the scriptures um, and then just history itself, that is best to just kind of like, not put your security in flawed human systems and institutions, Um, but to take them for what it is. um, And also pray that even in God's judgment, Like, if because the way I think everything is being said here, um, it could almost feel like how what we're experiencing, especially in the last, I said, four years, is especially this year, is like God's growing judgment on the nation of America. I don't know. Some people might have different feelings about that. Um, But just knowing that, okay, like, let's not get caught up with everybody in the nation, but let's hope that we are like, part of the remnant who who trust that we are like in the kingdom of christ rather than the world
0: Amen.
4: amen well said brian yeah again um i think with everything you just said and everything i said earlier about the rights of uh of protesting and disagreement. I meant that for Christians, not just Americans. Uh, we, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it says we don't have the right to speak uh, when we're in a society that makes it legal. We are legally allowed to speak out as loud as we can against rulers, to march, uh, to call them out on everything. Um, yes, no, we shouldn't go as far as to strike a policeman or to burn a building, um, but I believe, that we have to and maybe it's even a test of god you know because this society we're living in we can easily look to the old testament and say oh well we should stand by and wait for god but we don't have to stand by and wait for god to speak out right now and to make change and i believe we we're obligated to as christians uh, not to cause violence not to incite violence uh, but there's no way i'm not going to speak out against a leader especially when i have the chance to vote for another leader i mean that's what uh you know, politics are all about, that's what leaders, uh, that's what democracy, which God has also given us is all about. Um, so standing, bo- standing back and, and saying nothing or doing nothing, I don't believe is Christian at all. That A lot of people would agree, it's funny. I just read a
0: book over the weekend. Um, I, I specifically avoided reading any books, any materials written by anybody uh, as we as I was prepping for this class the past few weeks. Now that I'm done, I have like four books I'm trying to blow through. Uh, to kind of be a part of the conversation, and I read one it was very similar. Not even the Christians are allowed, but their their claim was similar to you. There's actually a sense of duty that Christians should have in uh, political. Yep. Well, like let's put a pin in that. I think that's something we're going to keep on considering and testing, and um, different ones. have oh. different answers to that, but that's something we're going to be looking at as we go through the scriptures. What is our place in this participant. Yes. That's not really the scope of our discussion tonight. Right, right. That is, a, that is a
4: valid um, question for us to my, keep it and thinking about. Yeah, if my, we should participate <laughs> and how so. My point relevant to what we're talking about is um, if we're participating in a way that we're not breaking God's law, he is still, we have to understand that the end result he is still in control of. It's still his decision. We can protest or whatever, all we want. If he decides to keep, you know, in this case, this president in power, or in this case, someone else in power, we have to understand that that was his final decision.
0: I think and that's that, a, that's a really good perspective. Yeah, I think that's right. That's our bottom line, at least. Uh, yeah, absolutely yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Da, uh, I think Mark had something and then David. Mark, you, do you want to say something? Oh, no, I'm okay. Thanks. Okay.
3: All right, David, go ahead. You know, I'm and, and trying to process everything with with the initial question that that you asked. Like, what were some of the challenges that that we we have um, about being subject to authorities? And um, and I was I was trying to see it the the opposite way. Uh, if if we have challenges of meeting to a kind of authority, because we would want to have um, a good a godly government. I'm trying to see if if, if if, it was to be that way, maybe it will be contra- auto-contradictory because then that, w- that will mean that um, we will want uh, a, an absolute uh, a theocratic uh, government that then will become a dictatorship and then we won't have any freedom of 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 speech, and and it will be like like very uh, given by laws, and 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 so and so then we will be again uh, talking about issues like okay, so we are not free, and so I've been thinking about it, and and also what you what you were mentioning about that God works everything for good, and I was thinking in in countries where where there is not um, a democracy, but um, for example, cases like China that I, that I hear that even among all the barriers that they have to express themselves and, and as far as of their beliefs, there are still people coming to God and and, and there are people who are looking and are find, finding and and so that that shows us that. Uh, regardless of of anything, God is really working everything for good for the ones who are looking for the true kingdom, Um, which uh, I see that it can happen at any time in history or anywhere in the world.
0: Yeah, you said a lot of really good stuff there. I mean, uh, for one, by the way, what you just brought out, like, let's say a a theocratic theocratically appointed government that imposes uh, devotion to God, well, that happened in the Roman Empire. And that's where arguably the greatest uh, divergence from the true Christian faith had its roots. I mean, maybe it had its roots in the hearts of people who weren't really being obedient to God. But as far as on an institutionalized level, that's how things really got off track is whenever it became government appointed religion or whatever, right? Um, So yeah, I mean, Jesus said Don't say, oh, look here or look there when you're looking for the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is within you. In other words, it happens whenever you determine to be devoted to God. It's not something that should be imposed. Therefore, maybe thinking about governments that are um, executing or not executing righteousness on earth shouldn't be our our chiefest concern. doesn't mean it's unconcerning to us. It's very concerning to God, and it should be to us as well. But it's not our chiefest concern. Um, And I like... The other point that you were making, uh, you know, some statistics on these kinds of things, polls and all that, they're kind of misleading because it's hard to know how they even define things like what is a quote unquote Christian in, in a general sociologically uh, derived poll. But it is interesting when you look at stats about where is Christianity growing, it tends to be in poor parts of the world. It tends to be in places where they're war torn. It tends to be in places where um, where where there are governments that are expressly opposed to the faith, like you pointed out, China, or various places in the Middle East. And by the way, some of those places in the Middle East, we don't have good stats because people are not going to volunteer the fact that they're followers of Jesus when they know they can get their head chopped off for it. So think about what if God is doing just like he did under the rule of Pharaoh, just like what he did under the rule of Nebuchadnezzar, just like what he did under the rule of the Caesars. What if he's doing something? With governments that we look at, maybe even governments that we live under at times, we say, man, this is horrible, this is bad. What if God's doing something with that human evil? Not to say that it's excused or God likes it, but God sees it and says, okay, let me figure out how to utilize this human evil that's going to exist no matter what. Let me use it to do something good in the world uh, and to inspire my people to to serve me more faithfully. Other thoughts or comments about any of the stuff we've discussed uh, this evening?
1: I think that we should just um you know be careful about how we attribute like god's desires to leaving or having certain people in power you know like i think they made a really good point that we we don't know what god is doing in the bigger scheme of things but i also think we don't because of that, I don't think that we can correctly assume that if someone stays in power, it's like, a, it's like a sign of approval, or it is a sign of this is okay, their actions are okay with God, if that makes any right. sense. That's right. That's right. Um, so I think that we just need to like be careful about that, um, and making sure that attribution doesn't get out of hand.
0: Yeah, and Brittany, um, I'm going to respond to what you said. I mean, if I misunderstand and therefore kind of corrupt what you're saying, come back in here and and, uh, clean this up. But, uh, yeah, I think this is important. Whoever wins, I win the presidency in 2020. Let's just do that so it's easier. I win the presidency in 2020. Uh, None of you can say, that means God really thinks Ben is a good person. That doesn't mean anything. Now, I, I don't think that that necessarily means, and I don't know if you were commenting this, Brittany, or if, uh, if you, you want to follow up with some of this. Uh, I think Romans 13 teaches that God, whether permissively or actively, it was his will, like he gave me authority to be president. That may not mean that I'm a good person or that I'm a good leader. He may have some other reason, maybe because I'm a bad leader, as Ruth pointed out, maybe he's trying to execute judgment by appointing a bad leader uh, like me. Um, so I don't think we can say, Oh, God didn't Romans 13 says God appoints the, those who have authority, they have it from God. But I do think this is huge for sure that we shouldn't assume, Oh, because someone's in authority, that means they're a good person, uh, or God approves of them as a, as a person or whatever. And that's a big mistake if we do. And by the way, this is why people get really on their high horse about like, well, my candidate is the righteous candidate or my person, is right? Stop it. Stop it. Every single human being is a sinner in the eyes of God. So we don't need to be acting like that or talking like that. Um, It's okay to say that God uh, grants authority to people who have positions of power, but that doesn't mean that God is thumbs up on their behavior, their actions or attitudes or policies or whatever. Brittany, jump back in here if you want to clean some of that up, but I just want to double down, especially on that point of God not approving of uh, people's character just because they're in power.
1: Yeah, I guess the only thing that, that I would say that's not super clear to me from Romans 13 is what you mentioned on whether this is an active or a passive permission from God. I do not think that we can understand that and like come to a really clear conclusion from what Romans 13 says. And so from my perspective, like what that means is that we're almost in this territory of I a mean, much broader question of like why can a just God allow evil things to happen in the world, right? And so I think we have to come at it at least a little bit from that perspective of, well, God is allowing things to passively happen in the world and probably actively doing other things and frankly we have no idea which is which just as job had no idea which was which right and i think that's just like important to to keep in mind and and i guess that goes back to like attribution of what is god actively or passively doing well we don't know um and so you know I guess I was into my point.
2: Sorry. <laughs> no, else to that's, say? Great. that's great. That's great. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll tackle on this. I, I think that's, that's right. The Job one is a great example, actually, because if, if you ask most of us, Hey, uh, who did all the bad stuff to Job? You're like, it was Satan. And that's true. You know, who kind of claims responsibility uh, for all the stuff that happens to Job in the book of Job? It's God. And so here's the point I want to make uh, that, that may not be accurate because I think what's been presented is, is uh, this is the, the tension is, in other words, should we think that when leaders are appointed as leaders, do they come from God? My answer to that is yes. Um, I don't know how that works. Again, and I'm not going to pretend to know, but I know God claims responsibility for all the leaders, whether that be Pharaoh in Egypt, Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, Pilate, the Caesars, the people, the Babylonians in Habakkuk's day. God uh, consistently has claimed responsibility, and I think that's an ongoing thing, that God claims responsibility for granting power and authority to even some of the worst world leaders and most brutal and unjust leaders that the world has ever known. Uh, God has specifically in scripture uh, claimed those, and I think that's an ongoing thing. Now, again, this goes back to that, does that mean he allowed them, or does that mean he specifically gave it to them, I don't know. And, and either way, I don't think it matters because frankly, it's still kind of bothersome to me either way, uh, because I look at people, I'm like, God, how could you do that? That's why I have back at 2.4 is I think so crucial for us in this conversation uh, and in this thought. Um, Ruth, I'm guessing you have a follow-up?
2: Um, kind of, but in, the, in a sense, maybe because I, I said the thing about the judgment, because I totally agree with what Brittany has said, Um, and I know that we are trying to talk about our context a lot in terms of, um, so my perspective of thinking of like how often, like, to be honest with you, I really have, I'm struggling in terms of, you know, I am politically homeless and all the things, but I am really struggling. But I also think that, um, in how often do we, Thank God, because we also think things like, I know some people, I want to speak for everyone, some people view this as, okay, we're seeing oppression, we're seeing a lot of unrest, we're seeing a lot of um, division, but how often do we, I know in the scripture it talks about um, the governor, you know, saying that he he appoints these things for the good of us. Um, Are we even like, how often do we thank God for the liberties that we do have? like acknowledging that we have so much liberties to say things and you know, I know there's there's a lot of things of like for me I, I tend to not um I, I tend to not do that all the time, and I have to kind of say like, you know what, even whether I know if God is you know judging America or not. Um, you know, in my life, there is still a lot of things I, I, you know, I should be grateful for. I know I said a lot there, but I
0: don't know. No, that's right. That's right. And uh, a lot of things there, Brian, you were
4: sitting on go, what you got brother? Um, I would say uh, like Brittany had said, and I, I, and I had earlier referred to before. Yes, definitely. It's clear that because God allows someone, like I was saying, even after our, all our protests or whatever to be, elected uh the leader or to be sitting leader definitely does not mean that god approves of him uh but for some reason uh he might be putting them in uh sometimes that reason might be to stir the people up even more to start paying attention to their leaders which a lot of people particularly in this country have not um and voting but uh i think also um a interesting what i think is that um I would disagree that I think uh, some leaders are incredibly better than others, incredibly more, uh, more uh, uh, virtuous and, and preferred by God than others. Like God shows in the old Testament where he seems to absolutely uh, give uh, preference to some leaders and, and disliking other leaders, uh, David in particular and Solomon. But uh, so I think we have to keep that in mind when we're considering uh, people Um And when we're certainly other leaders of the world are a lot more terrible than ones we have just because of what this country uh, allows. Um, So, yeah, those are my thoughts. That's right.
0: Uh, That's great. And that's probably a pretty good place for us to get ready to land the plane here in a second. Um, We've gone well over an hour. Uh, I don't know. You guys may want to just keep on going, but I don't want us to burn out in just our second week. I do want to show you something. And actually, um, my plan is for us to start uh, our discussion next week with uh, with this, a couple of questions that were in your uh, material here. So I know you guys have already looked at this and thought about it. Um, and, and it's gonna be this, and so, so this is where we'll start. How should God's sovereign rule over world governments impact our thinking regarding our role in choosing governmental leaders, right? Uh, some people think, hey, like, this is a government by the people for the people in our context, right? Well, should we think that way? Or should we think uh, in a little different way about that? Maybe we should. I mean, I'm, uh, What about our attitude toward leaders that we think are evil, by the way, we still should think that if people are evil, we should call that out. Jesus did. Um, But what about our attitude and our posture toward them? Maybe relates to some of the things that have just been uh, commented here at the tail end of our discussion. What about our anxiety about world and national politics? Maybe you don't have any anxiety and, and thank God if you don't, but if somebody does have anxiety, how does the sovereignty of God impact our our disposition in terms of our anxiety and things. And I'm actually gonna just suggest one thing to you Um, on this point, I'm gonna start with these just to use as a review. Um, We'll start uh, our next discussion with these three questions or this question with these things, you can comment on whichever one next time. Um, But relating to this issue of our anxiety about world and national politics, um, I'm greatly disturbed, saddened, angered a number of times by things that I read about and know about uh here and elsewhere. Um, but it gives me great peace to know that none of these rulers are really ruling much of anything. Like Jesus told Pilate, you don't have any authority. You don't have any authority. And um whenever we remember that and hold on to that, um it should make us actually care even more about the bad stuff that's going on in the world because it's not just that these rulers are violating our standards, they're violating God's standards. But it also should give us a greater hope that they're not going to be held accountable by us. They're going to be held accountable by the God who made the uh, the people that they rule over. Um, They are servants of God and will be judged accordingly. And we know as citizens of heaven that the righteous who are loyal to God will survive. We will survive and uh, the more people that we can pronounce the good news the political message that we talked about last week that jesus is king the more people that will come to believe that and bow down before the throne of king jesus the more peace they'll be able to have and uh the more security they'll be able to have no matter what the governing authorities of this world may do
4: the aim of the way bk is to share the gospel of jesus christ across brooklyn and beyond For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.